You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 22 called The Art of Questioning, Working with Pre-Service Teachers and Leadership Characteristics. In this episode, we talk about perfecting the skills of questioning, our visits to Rutgers and Ryder, and the Governor Teacher of the Year Annual Award. As always, we will finish the episode with another Tech Battle Royale. going on episode 22 coming at you hey guys how you doing i am rocking it today i feel really good we're a little over a week from uh holiday break and i I could just feel myself starting to get refreshed i'm telling you i know the uh, the end is in sight i I know the winter break isn't quite halfway through the year but it always kind of feels like that to me and that you've got your routines established and you get a nice long break to kind of recharge the batteries to uh finish off the the second half which is crazy but that's kind of where we're at yeah and uh I, I'm telling you right now, I, I am super excited because I'm going to do something over the break that I've never done before. What's that? I'm going to go ice skating. <laughs> oh, no. I, I'm telling you, you you're going to think, here's this uh, you know big gorilla looking guy on skates, but I'm going to be good. I've never gone skating before. Did you do, we always did like rollerblading growing up. Did you go to the roller rink? Um, I did go to the roller rink. Okay. But inline skating is a different. Yeah you know beast for me we used to play roller hockey behind our school and uh i was always the goalie because the goalies didn't need to be on skates okay (laughs) all right so i i can't wait i'm super excited and i can't wait to fall ten thousand times yeah man i wish i could watch you'll have to take some video make sure you dress in bright colors so everybody knows to get out of your way too (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna call me streaks (laughs) I'm going to fly by them, but there's no way that I'm going to be able to stop. But let's get into today's episode, and we're going to start with the question of the week. And this one is almost like the mysterious pen pal, because throughout the last couple of weeks, I keep getting these uh, slips of paper in my mailbox. And some of these slips have ideas for our podcast. Others have compliments about our podcast. One was a very, very critiquing note about our podcast. Okay like to see improvements on but the last thing that i got was a question for the question of the day and i i really enjoyed this question this is something that i personally can relate to but here goes yeah let's hear it what's the uh what did this person ask i am a new teacher and i just received my feedback on my second observation in both of my observations i received decent scores in all categories except one questioning oh yeah What are some ways that I can improve my question? So all I got to say is if all this feedback is from a new teacher, this this teacher is a go-getter, right? Because during my first year, I didn't have time to listen to podcasts. I had barely enough time to uh, breathe and wash my sheets. Let alone enough time to think about something as complex as questioning. I don't know if I really thought about trying to get better at questioning for at least five, six years in. For me, that's probably the hardest job of a teacher. I don't know where you fall with questioning, but man, that's always the, for me, the toughest thing. Yeah. I mean, a lot of students said that because I am a 
bigger piece of mass that, you know, they were intimidated by me. But by the end of the year, they just call me a big goofball and there's really nothing to be afraid of. Sure. However, one thing that I remember always getting docked on or told that I could approve on is the way that I question students. And this is something that I worked hard at for five, six years, and I still feel like I can improve. Yeah, uh, same here. I've just recently, I've started paying more attention to it and um, just sort of in a reflective way, because we've all learned, most teachers have learned at some point, like strategies for good questioning or how to ask effective questions. But you really need to be in the right place, I think, in your career to sort of stop and say, okay, I feel pretty good about everything else. I know my content. I know the general outline of lessons I want to do. And I know the delivery method. Now I'm ready or now's a good time for me to focus on how can I really get good at asking questions. And one thing, I'll just kick it off if you don't mind. One thing that took me a while to realize with this is that uh, questioning, the asking of the questions by the teacher and also the students answering the questions, it takes practice. You can't just go in and expect this amazing discussion where students are answering your questions fully and comfortably sharing things. It takes time uh, to build that culture of, of participation where they're not afraid to be right or wrong. They're comfortable volunteering answers. They're comfortable correcting each other. It uh, it takes it just takes time and it takes some modeling and it takes some training on everybody's part. So I think that's important for everyone to know is that this is something you cannot just go in one day and decide to do and have everybody be good at. So what I'm taking away is it's almost impossible, especially as a first year teacher or maybe even an experienced teacher in the first couple of days to have an atmosphere that is set up to have like a safe space or a safe classroom where students really feel comfortable around each other. Yeah, sure. I don't think so. I mean, do you think that makes sense that quick, for especially for a new teacher? I, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, I either. just think about questioning. And for the longest time, I was asking questions where I wanted them to regurgitate an answer. And I think that that was my biggest downfall because the process is more important than the regurgitation of an answer. For example, are they getting anything out of memorizing what the definition of a word is? Or are they going to get more out of knowing how that word fits in with the content or the process itself? And and really, one way that you could do this is by asking open-ended questions, not leaving it so um, they're just regurgitating a one-word answer. They have to really take those vocab words, apply them to some type of scenario, process, whatever, and explain how they all work together to make some process run. I'm saying process because that's what we have in science. Yeah, sure. We have steps, methods, processes, uh, those types of things. Kind of going along with that too is, like you said, it just made me think of something I did today where there was a, an acronym. Uh, the letters were V-S-E-P-R. And I always used to just kind of tell the kids like, what all the words mean. And that's a question I could ask, like, what does the V stand for in V-S-E-P-R? And that's a pretty easy question to answer. Everybody feels good. If you don't know, you look it up. But way more valuable is asking the question, what's so important about that word V? The word is valence, by the way, for like valence electrons in an atom. But what's so important about the term valence in this acronym V-S-E-P-R? What does that mean? What does it tell you? How does that help you remember what V-S-E-P-R is all about? Uh, so yeah, those like process-related questions where they have to verbalize their thinking way more valuable, which actually kind of makes me think of another one. Another important strategy with questioning is using the proper starters. Uh, don't focus on what is the correct answer. That's almost a bad starter by itself. What is? Because that implies that there's a right or wrong. Try and when you can, it's not always possible, but when you can use things like, uh, what do you think about? Or do you 
you think this or do you think that? Phrasing it that way, even if there is technically a right answer, at least it kind of opens the forum, makes people feel comfortable, like maybe they're just sharing what they think. Let's not focus on if it's the right or wrong answer yet. We'll get there. But just for now, what does everybody think about this? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And taking it a step further, a lot of times students ask me questions and I would regurgitate the answer to them. And it's just a bad circumstance there because... What are they getting other than being able to take the words that come out of my mouth and put it on a piece of paper to answer a question? They're not getting anything with that. But if you could somehow find a way to ask them what I call mini questions or step questions. Uh, So they're answering these uh, questions that are going to lead up to the overall picture, the creation of the overall picture. But really, you don't want to give them the answers. You want them to work towards the answers it's it's pretty awesome to see someone take a complex question the teacher breaks it down and then at the end the students are excited because they were able to answer these little mini questions to get to the final answer which by the way sorry to cut in but that's the whole process of uh, inquiry-based learning is you've got one gigantic super complex question but with questioning you can break that down into smaller chunks and and build a response to the larger question so that's kind of a cool connection there. and and going with this whole breaking things down to a smaller question um it's not good to like rapid fire all these small questions at once give them one small question take another walk around the room help a couple other groups out come back ask them all right so what do you what are you guys thinking and then uh if they're on the right you know kind of on the right path there you can give them another mini question to kind of get them to take their thoughts to the next level so this is super important this is one of the skills that took a while for me to perfect but it's all about the timing and really just waiting to get them to be like okay i don't know this answer but here's another question that i could focus on and i think i could relate to this one let's give it a shot let's give it a try right and then you wait like a minute or two and then you give them feedback and that feedback that now feedback is very important whereas if you ask all these questions on a worksheet and you go over them the next day you're losing some valuable teaching moments there so having this system where you can constantly as a teacher walk around and you come up with these questions these stepped questions along the way i mean that's just a perfect scenario and some of this uh you as a newer teacher you really should build this into your lesson plan definitely um something you said in there which i know it's kind of the obvious one but i think we should mention it is just this like simply giving good wait time after you ask a question it's it sounds so easy on paper i think really just last year i started to get good at asking a question and just standing there and waiting comfortably i would try i would year for years i always tried to give good wait time when nobody raised their hand or nobody said anything. But I was just too uncomfortable with the silence and I felt like I was losing track of everybody. But just recently I've said, you know what, whatever. That You gotta just stand there, soak it in, right? If, if you're, if the, and this is what I realized in this process, if you are comfortable, everybody can feel that energy. You know, the only reason the class gets uncomfortable is, is if they know the teachers are uncomfortable. If you start fidgeting around, looking around, looking nervous, if your face flushes, then everybody starts to feel that way. But if they know that when you ask a question, we're just going to hang out all, all super casual until somebody says something is the whole issue of, of waiting for a response is just not that big a deal. And it gives kids the time to think. That's by the way, part of the modeling process when you start to build questioning into your classroom culture, you, uh, you know, you tell them like, we may just end up sitting here while everybody thinks for a little bit and that's okay. You don't, you know, don't 
think about the silence during that time, think about what your answer would be. Think about your response to that question. What's cool about that is you're also allowing your students that are maybe a little bit slower with cognitive processing to take that question in and you're giving them a chance to kind of level out the playing field a little bit and and maybe someone that wouldn't normally volunteer to give an answer now can because they had that think time and I think that's very beneficial. So many benefits which actually reminds me of another one that this is one of my favorites is letting kids know what question you're going to ask them before they answer it. For me in school I was super anxious. I would I was one of those kids that I when I knew the teacher was asking questions I would purposefully not make eye contact trying to avoid being called on I didn't want to say speak up or say anything at all and just because even if I knew the answer just like the fact that the teacher was calling me out made me super nervous and I would like at least in my head I would say it stupidly or I would forget what to say so I like feel for the kids that might be going through that same thing especially if I know a kid has issues with anxiety or like you said some kind of an intellectual delay you let them know say hey these these are some of the points we're going to hit today I'm going to ask you about you know number five whatever that is if it's typed up somewhere just so they have time to prep, maybe jot some things down and it takes a lot of that stress away for them. And by the way, then they're not stressed so they can actually focus on what everybody else is saying. And one thing I like about this whole wait time is giving them or letting students know that no matter what, we're not moving on. And sometimes it's good to say, hey, Nick, you have the answer or you're going to be asked question number five at some point in time during the next 20 minutes and not giving me an answer is not an option. All right. And if you need any help, maybe turn to Todd and see if he could help you out, get you on the right path. But one of the things that I really like about that is the fact that uh, you're making them come up with an answer. They're forced to think. And that pressure is sometimes good. You could argue it the other way. But if they get the wrong answer, Nick gets the wrong answer, me as a teacher, I'm going to be like, that's a great wrong answer. Yes. Because they put time and effort into thinking about it. But it also gives us time and energy to ask why they got that. Maybe there's something that we're not thinking about. Maybe it is a right answer. It's just not the answer that you were thinking about. So important. Just to, as a teacher to make a big deal a, in a positive way about a wrong answer, make it seem like a good thing. That's that's pretty much what you just said, right? Yeah, this is just one way that you're able to create an environment that is safe where kids are not worried about failing or looking stupid in front of their peers. I mean, it, it is a big thing. That is a problem. Yep. We would get more out of our students if everyone feels like they're in a safe space. And that's why as a teacher, I try to make myself look ridiculous at times, confidently ridiculous. Yes. It's okay. I remember a couple of different times where uh, I would put math problems up on the board and I would make sure that I got one wrong. Sometimes to be honest, I was having a case of the Mondays on a Thursday yep. where I wasn't as sharp or I was thinking about the next steps of the lesson while trying to do math and I got something wrong and I'm just like, eh, you know, you win some, you lose some. That simple brush just allows them to know that, A, you're human and they can have these human moments as well. It's so important. And I'm, you know, this is this is something that as a teacher, it takes time to build that skill. But yeah, being comfortable yourself with being wrong. I've, I've observed teachers before and they make a mistake and it totally throws them off, um, but it's important to not let that happen just to show the kids it's okay. Another thing that's really important to do, I think, that we should mention with questioning is to focus on having students correct each other's ideas sometimes. If a 
a student does say something wrong, maybe like we just talked about, make a big deal about it in a positive way. Say, wow, that is an amazing answer and it's wrong for a really good reason. Does anybody out there see why this can't be correct? And you turn that into a learning moment for a bunch of the students in the whole class. So let's wrap it up with some of the big themes, I think, from everything we just talked about. Both Geis and I have had a lot of experiences with questioning. I think I, w- I just want to reemphasize any teacher out there struggling with this. Just know, I think we're all struggling with this. A, a true master teacher always has room to build in the world of questioning because it's just such a challenging thing and you can always be better. There's always ways to improve and new strategies to try. So hopefully whether you're uh, the new teacher that left this mystery note in Geis's mailbox or an old teacher that that's just trying to brush up on some new strategies. This uh, segment gave you some good ideas to try and some ways to improve. So Nick and I went back to college. What I mean by that is we volunteered our time with Ryder University students and Rucker University students, and we had a blast doing it. Yeah, it was a really cool experience getting to go back and talk to or speak to some pre-service teachers who are just getting into the field. Um, I wasn't there for both of these things. I was only at the uh, visit to Rutgers University's campus. So maybe do you want to start off and tell everybody about the the Ryder one since I wasn't there for that? Yeah, well, actually, we were here at Hopewell Valley. Okay, Um, cool. We hosted them here. Dr. Mark Piercy is a professor at Ryder University in the education department, and we tend to come up with ideas and execute them. So one of the ideas that we had was to give Ryder University pre-service teachers the opportunity to work through and escape the room like an actual physical escape the room. So he is in charge of a lot of the junior practicum kids, getting them placements all throughout the area. So neighboring schools and, and also here at Hopewell Valley. So what he did is they, they all, all the pre-service teachers met with um, Dr. Piercy and myself here at our media center. We set up an escape the room. It was a um, mystery escape the room, English based. And we decided to do that one because these pre-service teachers were in all content areas, Spanish, history, science, math, everything. So we thought that that would be an easy one to get them to work with. And it was just a great experience. I mean, I thought more students, uh, more of the pre-service teachers... I shouldn't call them students, but they are students, yeah, sure. but they're pretty close to uh, the real world. But anyway, I thought most of them would have at least attempted and escaped the room somewhere nearby because we have a lot of them popping up. Yeah. But really only a small portion of them have tried one. And it's it's pretty cool because to just watch them be uncomfortable in using technology I would think that they were they would be very comfortable because, you know, gaming is part of this generation that they're growing up in. But surprisingly, when you put them in challenge situations where they have to work together in somewhat large groups, I mean, eight, eight people per group, something like that, 12 people per group, and maybe they're not comfortable or they don't know each other well, uh, or maybe they're just not comfortable in taking a role, a leadership role where you have to verbalize things, or um, I don't know, maybe they're not communicators in the sense of 
solving puzzles. I know me personally, if I was on Survivor, I would be good at the physical challenges, at the puzzles. It would take me a little while to get going. And that's what I saw in this experience. I saw it took them a while to get going, but they all finished strong. Was the uh, was the goal to like, were you sort of instructing them how to create their own escape the room or digital escape the room if they ever wanted to? Were you just kind of showing them and saying, here's one to try. This is a thing you can do. Here's, you know, try it just to kind of get some general ideas. So basically, I wanted to just give them the experience. Dr. Piercy and I wanted to give them an experience to see if we could trigger any interest in making their own. Okay. And then Dr. Piercy came up with the idea of, hey, we know that you've kind of dabbled with uh, digital escape the rooms. Do you want to, you know, have my students give them a try? I think I was like, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. So, you know, some of the professional developments that we've done in the past were on digital escape the rooms. So I gave them one of our presentations from the past. And it's pretty cool because they're communicating about it on Twitter. And I get to be the creepo that gets to watch them from the outside and i'm like yeah that's cool yeah that's awesome they're doing something awesome oh there's another one and uh soon i think i'm going to be able to see a lot of their digital escape rooms in action so i'm i'm very pumped about that because i can't wait to see what they came up with yeah that's cool so you did they i mean i guess you feel like they took it positive like it was a good experience i i will tell you this there are a lot of students that i believe enjoyed it a lot of pre-service teachers that enjoyed it but i will say there were some that were uncomfortable and i don't know if that was a good uncomfortable or it was something that they're not interested doing ever again and to be honest with you when I implement these type of activities with students uh, out of a 24 uh, person class usually about 22 23 of them are you know super into it and there's one or two that you know might prefer to learn a different way which is okay yeah no it's fine I mean I I just to switch to the the Rutgers visit which I was at I kind of saw a similar thing that's the best part about the escape the rooms is that it is so engaging I mean it's a game that's its whole purpose there is to kind of get kids excited and interesting. So definitely everybody was was into it. I think the uncomfortableness that you get in any escape room is is a good one. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of learning that happens there just because it's so different. And that's that's kind of why we design these things, why you design these things and why I kind of jump in because there's so much value in that. But yeah, the, the, the Rutgers visit was just a, a similar experience. I thought it was awesome to kind of watch these pre-service students just getting in a classroom or pre-service teachers just getting in a classroom for the first time and seeing such cool cutting edge stuff from us. It was, it was neat to be a part of. It was also neat to see the different reactions. Um, when you put two groups together and you make a competition out of it and when i mean competition it's a friendly competition it's not like saying there's a winner there's a loser really you're competing against the clock and that's a good thing to compete against but the thing is is it's forcing team building skills and and collaboration skills and and a lot of different skills that you might not get to work with on a daily basis so that's unique the other thing is is a lot of times we use digital escape the rooms as a review activity i find them to be very successful there you could use them as an intro as well but i find them more beneficial as a review activity and then you have these physical escape the rooms which are better as an intro activity so i know one person asked me about content and how are how is content built in built into these physical escape the rooms and I'll, i'll tell you as an introduction you want to provide them with 
things that are content-based that they can relate back to, okay? So if I was doing one on the World War and I wanted to have famous people that participated in the World War, I would show pictures of them. And later on, I would tie that into stories, maybe battles that they were involved in or places that they visited of importance. And that way they can trigger back to that picture, pull it from the escape the room and bring it back into the the lesson. And some of the students, uh, some of the pre-service teachers got that. That some of them I don't feel felt that connection but really we had a short amount of time and that's something that I would uh, emphasized a little bit more than what we did yeah I think most everybody picked up on it's just I mean the name of the game is increasing that engagement and I think every, most people got that out of it I also need to bring up one of my big takeaways at least from the Rutgers visit um, we also did just a little segment as an intro where guys and I both kind of threw out uh, as many different ed te- our favorite ed tech to the to the students to the class and whenever we do this we always let them vote at the end of who they thought had the better selections and and who did they vote for well i think it must be some kind of a fluke because we usually end up tying the last time we did it it was actually a perfect tie which was upsetting but at least we both got recognized equally i think you what i think the vote was like eight to two or 18 to two or some insane amount where these kids clearly clearly didn't understand what i was presenting to them because you won by a landslide i will tell you this uh i am able to relate to these students (laughs) and i think that's the reason why i won them over i guess so i'm just joking around it was a it was a great experience overall and i'd like to thank for for me the the rutgers uh science pre-service teachers for having us in. It was an awesome experience and I, I learned a lot being there and I hope everybody learned something as well. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at We Got Teched. So it's the time of year where the Governor Teacher of the Year Award is coming out and this is something that nick won last year which was pretty cool and he got nominated by an insane amount of people students and parents which is really cool but also it's got to make you feel pretty good i would imagine right yeah if it was cool it feels weird i you know i'm never comfortable with the attention but now that i'm pretty far into the whole process it was really nice and i I look i look back on it finally and i'm glad our school has this kind of program and i'm actually kind of like a new supporter of uh, any kind of teacher of the year program at a school in new jersey we call it governor's educator of the year and and pretty much every state has a similar thing i just think it's really important because these are a lot of the time these are teachers that do things that you want to encourage all this staff to do and that I think uh, we, we should all want to do for our students. And it's just nice to sort of highlight that and, and whatever you get out of it, even if it's just a pat on the back to kind of recognize that person and say, hey, you know what, we know you're putting in a lot of time and that's awesome and keep it up. Even if that's all it is, I think it's great. So I thought we would just sort of bring up or mention some of the uh, uh, the characteristics that these teachers, that a, a teacher of the year or, or any teacher leader, whether it's named teacher of the year or not, would uh, exhibit. And I think one of the biggest ones for me is that it's definitely not a person who only is working with and for themselves, but somebody who's a team player, sharing things, contributing ideas to the larger group, working with their colleagues. Geis and I go back to this all the time. You can't, or at least it's really hard to work in isolation as a teacher and still be really good and still know about and try new and exciting things. You got to you gotta share ideas and, and, and there's a give and take there. And I think that's something we see in a lot of teacher leaders. Right. And what another thing that's cool about this uh, program is that every student, every 
every parent and every teacher has a voice or a say. They have a nomination. They have a vote. And uh, one of the things I like to do is I like to just reflect on the people around me and see what people are doing. And, you know, this year I nominated three different people because I saw value in all three of these different people and they stand out to me. And it's a pleasure working with them. And really they go above and beyond their craft to try to make learning fun for their students. Um, But I will tell you something that they have in common, all three of them. And you kind of mentioned it, but they're kind of a, not a me person, but a we person. Yeah. And what I mean is you'll never hear them take credit for everything that they do. They always acknowledge someone else. So if a sporting reporter came up to a person that scored three goals, the person who scored three goals would say, yeah, but, you know, Johnny, Rachel and Micah all gave me the pass that allowed me to score a goal or something like that. And uh, all three of these people are exactly the same way. And I really appreciate that because I feel like it builds a good, solid school climate, one that is promoting change and really promoting trying new things. So that is really the second thing. You can't be afraid to try new things. You want to keep up with the times. You want to keep up with the way that students learn. And that's another thing that each one of the three people that I nominated, that's what they have in common, is that they are often trying to push the envelope, think outside of the box, and bring that stuff that they thought of outside of the box back into the box, which is super cool. That's awesome. I actually just realized as you were talking, or it reminded me that I get, as the winner last year, I actually get to sit in on the meeting this year that helps to select uh, the upcoming Teacher of the Year, which I'm really excited about. And in that meeting, one thing that's always really important to me, and one thing I'll push and try to look for in, in the new candidates is um, the ability to stay relatable to students. It's weird as a teacher because you you are whatever age you are, you know, I mean, you're, you're getting older as time goes on and the, and the students keep getting younger and their experiences are, are not yours. And in fact, their experience gets further and further away from what your experience is. So it takes work to stay relevant and to present relevant things. Uh, so using current events, using whatever games the kids know about, that's so important to remember. And that's something I want to look for. We had a colleague that was phenomenal at doing this he was in education for 51 years and he's still coming back to be like a long-term sub for you know maternity leave and whatnot and he was phenomenal at this you can't keep a career in education without staying relatable and this guy is sam carlin the ageless wonder he's he's incredible he was he he just left because he was a fill-in for a person on maternity leave like you said and he's i think he's 73 years old 74 what is i don't know i don't want to i don't want to get it wrong and make him too old but he's definitely in his 70s and he interacts with 15 16 year olds with as much ease as he did 40 years ago yeah another story i have about sam is uh anytime you walk by him he's on hall duty and he's playing like top 40 uh Oh, you yeah. know, new yeah. age music and stuff yeah. like that. Or uh, show tunes. He's really into show tunes as well. I, I remember one time when the airplanes, the little remote control airplanes were popular. He would fly those all over the hallways during in between, like passing time. And he had this helium fish that he flew in the hallways. Do you remember that guy? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was awesome. So he he's always stayed up to the, the time. And I think a lot of students recognize that and they... They liked him because of that. He stayed relevant. He stayed current. And he, even though a lot of people laughed at him because he didn't really care about what people thought, he just had fun with the job. Right. And part of his craft was being funny. And Well, he was the, for me, he was always a great model because he was an expert at enjoying the job. And, and that's really important to convey to your kids that you like being here. You want to be here, even if there's 
there's certainly days where you're not in a good mood and you maybe you feel like you don't, but you have to make it feel like you do. And he was the expert at having fun, being funny, but also walking that line of, of commanding respect from the kids too, because that's also super important. So Sam's a good model for some of the things we look for in teacher leaders. And the other thing is he's relatable to the students, but he's also relatable to the teachers. And that really drew a lot of people to him, which was cool. And these are characteristics in which, you know, I've found in the people that I nominated this year and that I find in all the leaders in our building. And we have a lot of really, really good teachers. So I just want to throw out there, if if your school, because not every school has to participate in the teacher leader or teacher of the year, some kind of program, if they don't have one, I I recommend you get one. Like I said at the start, I just think it's a great program to encourage. It's just some of the things we mentioned in this segment that good teachers do. And it's just, I think more than anything else, it's just nice to kind of, like I said, give a pat on the back and recognize people who are doing good, new, innovative things. It's time for the Tick Battle Royale! That's right, it's time for the Tech Battle Royale. This is where Nick and I go eyeball to eyeball, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, toe-to-toe, face-to-face, and science fair project to science fair project. Boom. Wow, that was your best one yet. Really impressive list of uh, things you did there today, guys. Well, you kind of make them up as you go, and they just kept coming off of my tongue but uh you know it's time to get at it right now are you ready i mean you lost pretty bad last week to kyle i mean kyle's a tough opponent so i did lose but i don't feel bad about it although i know i've got we both have done some pretty exciting uh research and some good ideas for this episode's tech battle royale here's some of the categories in case you've never heard before we talk about a bunch of different things such as productivity video and screencasting games teacher favorites student favorites and so on all that's left to do now is spin the wheel you want to give it a shot oh i'll spin it okay so we've landed on one of my favorite things one of the most important things i think really important component of being a good teacher is formative assessment and i think tech ed tech makes that really easy and gives us a lot of great opportunities do you guys have something you can use you think today for formative assessment i do have something but i'm going to allow you to go first but i i want to also kind of bring formative assessment to emphasize that we need to make sure that things are in real time or as close to as quick as possible when you're giving feedback. Right. I want to say that formative assessment can come in many different forms. I want everyone to think about this as my tool beats yours. <laughs> That's how you wanted to think about it from the beginning? Yeah, I that mean... That doesn't make any sense. What are, you, what are you talking about? I mean, it's good for you, but it doesn't make any sense. This isn't cockiness, this is confidence. All right, listen, I'm going to add in just one other thing about formative assessment before we go too off the rails. Uh, Don't grade it. The whole point of formative assessment is that the responses your students give you should not count for a grade. It should literally only be to inform them on their learning and inform you on their learning so you can design the next process, which is what I think makes mine so perfect. I'm really excited about this. Just learned about it a couple days ago from a colleague uh, who's also really into ed tech. It is called, it's a website. It's called Go Formative and you can find it at 
GoFormative.com. For me, as a, a chemistry teacher, uh, so I think the science and math people out there are really going to love this, but there's definitely some applications um, for the other subject areas as well. It does what a lot of different formative assessment websites do, which is it gives you live, in-the-moment feedback from your students as they answer questions. It populates all their answers into sort of like a screen, a viewable screen that you can project in front of the room. So all the students are seeing everybody else's responses. And as the teacher, you can use that information in the moment to just kind of gauge where everybody's at, to highlight correct answers. Uh, like we talked about earlier in the episode, maybe to highlight wrong answers and have students uh, figure out why they're wrong and fix those issues. And like I said, there's a lot of tools that do this. I think what makes GoFormative so special is that it allows the responses that the students submit to be either typed or hand drawn using a computer screen, which is great for a school where the, all the kids uh, have devices, especially if those devices have touch screens. I mentioned that this is great for chemistry math people, so, sorry, science math people. Uh, that's because a lot of the times a multiple choice can't capture everything I needed to. I want to see their work. I want to see the process. I want to talk about that process. Even better, I want to have all the other students see examples of what other kids are doing, and this allows me to do that. So the gist of how it works is um, I post a question or a document using GoFormative, the students answer it, but they answer it by writing on the screen with their fingertips or a stylus or whatever they have. And then when they hit submit, their actual handwriting pops up on a screen in these little bubbles, these little squares, so I can see everybody's handwritten response, whether they've drawn a diagram or done some calculations or just wrote a few words. There is also a typing tool if you want it to just be text, but you see all that. You can choose to include their names with that response, or you can keep it anonymous. I would probably pr prefer to keep it anonymous. Um, some of the other great things about it is that it allows you to use uh, already pre-made assessments put there by other teachers. It allows you to upload documents and worksheets that you already use and it turns those questions into the questions that are part of your formative assessment. Like I said, I think the best part though is that it in real time populates all the data onto one single screen so every student can see what every other student is doing and it just gives amazing feedback. There's lots of other stuff like keeping track of scores so you can watch their growth over time but I think the, uh, the real time data is what makes this so special and better than most other formative tools. So good luck with that one, buddy, because I think that's pretty strong. Uh, you know, I'm mildly impressed. My <laughs> mildly. <laughs> mildly? What are you talking about? That's so great. You can actually see everybody's handwriting at one time. I, I like to think about it as how, you know, the classic teacher move is, okay, send one person to the board and show their work. Now we can see everybody's work all at once in the moment as it happens. So I don't cool. know if you're going to be able to believe this, but mine does everything that yours does and more i hate it when you say that that usually means a win is coming for you let's hear about all it. all i gotta say is that mine is going to class kick your butt because <laughs> mine is called class kick and you could find class kick at app.classkick.com i love this one and i stumbled upon it today i mean today as i was uh working this morning for a grad school project i found this and it's a gem okay well that's a bad sign that means you don't really even know what it does or how good it is yet 
Well, I had to review it for my project, so okay. I went and I, I looked at many people's reviews. And when you get a certain number of reviews without hitting, you know, a problem, it's kind of pretty cool. All right, let's hear about it. All right, Class Kick. A couple things about Class Kick. First of all, it's free. You could sign up. There is a way to get a pro version if you want to pay for it, but I, as I'm playing around with it, I think the free version does, you know, what we need it to do. It is integratable for those of you who use Google Classroom, which I think is a big plus if you are indeed one that uses Google Classroom. All right, and what ClassKick is, is think of delivering a PDF to a student and you want them to interact with, or think of delivering a Google Slides presentation, you want them to interact with them. What ClassKick does is it gives you all the animation tools. So if they're working on a presentation, the first slide is a picture of Europe and the teacher wants the student to circle all of the allied powers in World War two uh, with a red pen they can do that and it saves their work and then they go to the next one they have to pull out like the uniform pieces of a confederate s soldier in the civil war all right we're bouncing all over the wars but it doesn't matter yeah sure all right so they can tell the differences between the north and the south as far as uniforms and they can annotate and uh, bring things in. They can also, on the next slide, say that you want to know the causes of the Revolutionary War. They can click on a microphone icon and they can give uh, voice feedback. They could give auditory feedback, which is a game changer. So that's all cool. But, you know, you said go formative. You could see everything. Well, the teacher kicks out a code. Or if it's in Google Classroom, it could be uh, directly accessible from Google Classroom. But say you don't use Google Classroom. You could kick out a code. The uh, student signs up. And it's just their name and the code. So we're not giving away other information there. And uh, what they'll do is they'll go into the assignment and... On the teacher dashboard, you can see all the students sign in, and it shows pictures of each slide as they're working. So the teacher could give them feedback as they work. Oh, you might want to check out that country and make sure that you have six allied powers or whatever. They could do that, and that feedback can go back and forth. Uh, Nick, you and I really love gamification. That's true. And the teachers are able to give students points based on their work, and it keeps track of it. Also formulates uh, certificates and badges and things like that. Uh, stickers and all that says, great job, plus five. So all this stuff plays a part of class kick, which I think is absolutely awesome. So just to go through the, the scheme of things right now, the teachers prep something, and they can work together to prep it, and uh, they're going to prep a, a PDF or a slide or whatever they want to do. Then they kick it out to their students. Feedback could be given back and forth on the assignment, and then the teacher sees it all. Awards points, can award stickers, certificates, all that good stuff. So the benefits for teachers, they see student work as it happens they give feedback in real time we're saving paper and time even though you know we got to do what's best for our kids paperless is not an option in my point here in my point of view but that's a different conversation and this also encourages collaboration 
Students get help quickly from teachers. Uh, they raise their hand anonymously. So instead of them raising their hand, they're able to communicate uh, their questions through this uh, platform. They work at their own pace and you don't need to worry about losing homework. It's it's online, it's on the site. All right, so formative assessments work with this, self-paced learning, uh, exit, tic exit ticket, do nows, um, projecting student work. You no longer have to share a Google Slides presentation and have the teacher put it up. You can just click on their work and it goes up to the big screen and it could be used at home as well homework for tutoring flip classrooms mic drop all right all right all right just slow down there i was gonna argue that pretty hard but like five minutes ago when you said they could do audio feedback that's when i when i gave up but then you just kept going and you got stickers badges games electronic hand raising it sounds like it even kind of incorporates a little bit of what classroom q does where the students can electronically raise their hand within the within class kick i mean there's nothing i can uh there's nothing i can say i think i'll get I'll, I'll let you take the win on this one but as usual i do of course recommend my tool uh form uh, go formative really really great for anybody who's ever felt like the real-time data of multiple choice just isn't enough then give uh you know give go formative a try i wish they had some stickers that said you've been class kicked because i would give that to you right now because i just did all right well i'll i'll, I'll let you have it and uh stay tuned for guys's victory speech well there you have it class kick took down go formative Geis beats Nick once again. This is like the billionth time in a row. I'm not exaggerating. I have whooped him so many times now, it's it's almost getting stale, but it sure is still sweet. So this week, we're gonna talk about dumb questions, and there's a saying that says, there's no such thing as a dumb question. And I'm gonna say that's a little bit false. I'm gonna go ahead and put it out there that a dumb question is a question that doesn't get asked. Even the simplistic questions can go a long way in a classroom. And Trigger up a deeper discussion on content. As teachers try to develop their skills of asking the right types of questions that are going to force students to think more critically and deeper into their practice and learning. So in this episode, Nick and I, we went back to school and I think it's important that teachers that have been in the field for a while go back and really give back to pre-service teachers. We were all student teachers once. Someone took a chance on us. So make sure when you have the opportunity to take a chance on them as they want to go out and help the next generation. So take some time and reflect on the teachers that are in your building. See if you can find some good qual leadership qualities in them and maybe nominate them for an award at the end of the year. It's important that we keep our climate in the school positive and that our work environment is one that supports change. Until next time, you're listening to Got Tech, the podcast, www.gottech.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at WeGotTech.